Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is our joyful mystery, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Matt. I'm very good. That is is good to hear. If you want to update us on how your life has been, you can find us on Twitter at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is usually, but not currently, at Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. Email us podcast at romancircusblog.com. We're on Patreon, patreon.com slash romancircuspod. If you have a second, please stop by iTunes or Apple Podcasts now and leave us a review. We got a great view, uh, review the other day that said we are boring, and if you want to fall asleep, listen to us, uh, which is, uh, you know, anyway. I mean, the insomnia de- is a major problem these days, and so even yeah. if that's true, like, good for us. Like, we're right. Any way, any way the downloads come, Zach, is really what I'm saying. Exactly. It uh, doesn't matter to me. And that's about it We're wherever podcasts are. So, Zach, we we took last week off. Last week was a pretty wild week, obviously, and we had talked about doing a podcast, but we just didn't really care to. It was just, there was, you know, a lot going on. What's up? I was pretty busy, so we had to, like, jettison some of my clients to even record, but, you know. Oh, well, you don't jettison anybody. Never. Never. Uh... It was a, it was quite the week in America. Obviously, everyone knows at this point about the George Floyd uh, killing. Yes. So you know, obviously, to recap, in case anyone hasn't heard or you're listening to this way in the future, um, a man named George Floyd was killed by the Minnesota police in uh, Minnesota mm-hmm. on Memorial Day of this year. Um, the the killing was caught on camera and went viral. Um, I haven't watched the whole thing because it's very graphic, but a lot of people have seen it. Um, it took, I think, about nine minutes to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the duration of that time, um, the police officer, which is it Derek Chauvin? Sure. Um, Chauvin, shout, yeah. Had Was basically kneeling on the neck of George Floyd. So he wasn't able to breathe. He was begging you know, to be allowed to breathe, um, and other audio that have come out have shown that even, like, bystanders and people were like, hey, stop, and the Mm -hmm. cop continued on, um, so he's been charged with second-degree murder, which is basically just non-premeditated murder, Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, the, the three other cops that were with him have been charged with, um, Aiding and abetting, and I think second degree manslaughter or something like that. Yeah. Or was that so was that murder? Um, no, second degree manslaughter is is again it's where like somebody was reckless, but they weren't intending loss of life. Right. Um, whereas you know, really, once you have on tape people warning the officer that he was going to kill the man, and he kept going. Um, it it is hard to rule out some form of intent you know i mean it's like hello mm-hmm. um so yeah and I, I think one of the officers very clearly was oh just what? they were charged with aiding and abetting second degree murder and aiding and abetting second degree manslaughter okay um and so i think of the three one of them was i guess very clearly sort of running defense for the cop like making sure that anybody that was would have interfered wasn't able to right and then the other two less is known um and i guess one of them was their first day as a cop so that's uh yeah um and last i guess but uh yeah so that that happened so you know the video of that was very graphic it went viral very quickly um and it you know it, it sparked protests a sort of national conversation about race viral social media campaigns um kind of all the above and um you know it's filtered through the political system kind of as can be expected trump being uh you know 
sort of belligerent about it at moments. Um, you know, there's laws on police addressing police brutality being taken up in Congress. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so, what was that? Was that Siri? Yeah, Siri. Like Siri was sorry. Yeah, Siri was Siri was sorry. Um, um, anyway, so, so yeah, that's that's kind of what's happened up till now. Right. So the reason we I I mean at this point we don't have much to add to the discourse, but we thought it was at least important for Okay, so what I say, Zach, you know my thing, my shtick is saying that trad doesn't exist. It's just like a meme. Mm-hmm. It's it's a meme of people who idealize some forgotten past and it's a meme for angry people to blame all of their troubles right sure uh but undeniably we stake our claim in some sort of latin mass trad sphere and i thought it was important what's that i said of course yeah right so I thought it was important for us because, you know, there are some people who want to return to tradition and do all this stuff who are pretty unpalatable and are pretty... Right. and, like, they're trying to return to, like, a mythical, um, non-existent tradition of, like, an American culture sort of informed by well, yeah. European values and, like, you know, anyway. Well, but even then, you know, it's like, I don't know. There there's some examples of... I, I don't know. They're just pretty pretty lame and i thought it would be important for us to like go on the record and say that from at least this trad standpoint that it is okay to say things like black lives matter right because there's the whole idea of and people obviously get huffy and they say well all lives matter which is obviously correct um and then they get huffy about Black Lives Matter because it's also an organization and people are like, well, it's a terrorist organization. Uh, but it, it, I thought it was important to which at least... Is, which is a bit of a stretch. Like, I think that you can make a lot of very valid um, criticisms of the actual organization. Um, right. And, but then when it gets up... But, I mean, you do see people, obviously, um, in the in the Catholic blogosphere calling them that. But... Um, yeah, well, yeah, but so the important the part is that we like we were talking about the idea that it gets frustrating when we talk about things like abortion and we say that we're pro life and we say that we're against abortion, and then people come back at you and they're like, "Well, if you're against abortion, you have to be against this and against this and against this." And we are we always the response to always is okay, but we're talking about abortion right now, right? Right. One does not the negate death the penalty other. Obviously, being the most obnoxious one. Right. I mean, we've even like I've even made it clear where that I'm opposed to the death penalty. But you'll have people like, well, what about you know the death penalty? You should be just as mobilized. And it's right. Like, well, you know, we've we've done a lot like the death penalty. We've 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 gotten it to a good spot. It happens less than twenty times a year in this country. We've you know we're working on, but. So, yeah, so with that being said, that's the same, I mean, the same logic is why we can say Black Lives Matter, because obviously everything matters, but in this case, we're talking about a black life, right? And the, the, but then the, the pushback is with the organization, as you were saying, like, of course, in the, the whole Black Lives Matter organization standpoint there will be grifters and there will be people who try and take advantage but as we've gone on the record is again in talking about the march for life for example how that gets hijacked all the time and we never know who has what best interests but that doesn't (laughs) right but that doesn't it's like an intersection of the two with like abby johnson yeah Um, but it doesn't mean but that doesn't mean that we because it's it's getting hijacked that it means that abortion is any less important right right so and we don't have to wait till we have a perfect movement and a perfect organization to fight abortion and i think that that same sort of rule should be applied so you know not even speaking to specific criticisms of the black lives matter organization um to me that doesn't it's not very it's not relevant like it doesn't you don't have to like them or maybe you do like them but it, it doesn't 
like the movement is separate from that yeah that's and i mean it just and a lot of this always it always gets boiled down to like you know political teams and party politics yeah that's what it is we get on board with black lives matter but they're not quite on board with abolishing the police and then red team is you know against it and they're definitely not they want to like defend the police and yeah so the it, it there's an aspect of team element which is i mean that will always be there but it just but our it always aren't swayed by that stuff never it and it always comes off so it comes off so just lame sometimes like there's an i don't Listen, I don't want to say his name because I think he's gotten enough press and he's gotten enough money. But one of a, a Catholic podcaster writer, had, former teacher, former teacher, <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he was very outspoken about this, and it comes off. It just comes off as so like, it's I don't know if vile's the correct word, but like it, it, it I don't know what you're trying to prove at that point, right? They're like being so outspoken, like they're a terrorist organization and this and that and all that and like yeah i don't okay but like it doesn't it doesn't I mean, mean it's you, like if you want to say that about antifa like i'll have a conversation with you well yeah i um, mean those are just rich white kids who uh, right who they, their purpose in life is to uphold the neoliberal order yeah mauled off cocktails and um yeah no that's obviously um it's whole yeah yeah, yeah. So, and you had a point, and remind me of your point about like, like the liturgical year about. Oh yeah, I mean, okay. So with, you know, with Protestants, especially some of the like more, like low church or um, evangelical, like some of them will go as far like they don't have a liturgical year, but some of them, I think it's like Church of Christ and stuff. They don't even do like Christmas or Easter or anything that like your other protestants do and when you like i've had conversations and you'll ask them about it and they're like well we just think that you should always be celebrating the resurrection of christ and the birth of christ and so having a specific day like you know takes away from that it's like well it, it doesn't though right like we are always supposed to be celebrating those things and then we have specific you know time periods and things set aside to hone in on on those things but it, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that like yeah, Christmas, the resurrection isn't any less important on Christmas Day, mm -hmm. um, and so yeah, I mean again, to to have a movement or you know just a phrase or a, a concept like Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that it it just doesn't mean a lot of these things that people want to say that it means, and that there's not really um, I, I can't really think of a valid reason not to 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 have a problem saying it and. I also just think, besides the fact that it's obnoxious to <laughs> respond with All Lives Matter, um, it's also just associated with a lot of dodgy characters that, like, I don't really, like, you know, even just, like, if I could just implore anybody to quit saying it, just, you know, to your own vanity, like, don't associate with these people. But, you know, you'll also see people that they'll say all, they, they don't want to say Black Lives Matter, but they'll say All Lives Matter. But then they'll say blue lives matter, which is like, <laughs> to me, that, that one is just very obnoxious. Like, I mean, I, of course, believe that cop lives matter. Um, but like, if you're willing to identify a subset, then you're obviously not like, it's not all or nothing. So like, it's basically just, you won't say black lives matter. And that's not uh -huh. everybody, but like, it, it really shouldn't be hard to say black lives matter and i mean you don't have to go tweet the hashtag like i don't like that's sort of obnoxious to me and it becomes a thing like you know when 2016 when trump was like you have to say radical islamic terror like mm -hmm. i'm not trying to make anybody use any catchphrases but the idea the black lives matter the phrase it really shouldn't bother you or like if it does you should examine that and like fix yourself i don't you know yeah, I mean, and personally, I've had to examine a lot of why a lot of phrases bother me over the past few years, uh, and I don't like to examine myself. I hardly ever examine my conscience, Zach. I just walk into the confessional and just kind of, you know, I I repeat, I just say the sins that I think people say, 
yeah. you know i'm like I, I i think some people probably say this one so i'm gonna say this one uh but anyway point is yeah. uh, so we think that black lives matter and we think well, yeah but that, it well, and well, it's, we think they do and we're just recognizing that but. it's our it is our personal opinion uh yeah so that is i feel right it. And it was just important, I feel, in a lot of, a lot of, you know, tra I, there, there are... Drop the tribalism with this issue. Like, there's so much of this is unique to American history mm. that even if you're wanting to be a traditionalist or look to the past or something, like, this is a dark aspect of American history mm -hmm. and, and not something that we want to hold up. Like, I mean, we had you know centuries of of slavery followed by jim crow and you, you can't just flip a switch and and undo all that inertia and completely eradicate the systemic racism from you know all the institutions of the society and i mean i, I guess just maybe not take comfort but consider that when it's systemic then it, it's not about pointing the finger at any one person it, it doesn't it's not like oh but they're good cops or they're bad cops it's like mm -hmm. well I'm, thank goodness they're good cops but that that's irrelevant to looking at the systemic nature of this problem and like having a serious conversation and doing analysis and so you know i mean be glad that we have good cops so that whatever reforms or changes are made there's people that w will you know uphold them but it, you can't you can't just excuse a systemic problem or a you know a big thing um because there's yeah. some good cops. I mean, there, there's good in every movement. So, with that said, the the in, the flip side uh, for people who are online all the time, like us, uh, if there is a person you would qual you know classify as trad or something like that, being mean online, especially if they're anonymous, right? If they don't use their name, uh, don't worry about what they're saying. Like literally, just write them off. It doesn't matter. And we, there you are. You should never allow yourself. If, you, if you're having a negative emotion from an anonymous account, you just shouldn't allow it. Like, even if all the evidence says otherwise, just ask yourself. Like, maybe this is just a bot designed to make me mad. Like, just never allow. An, well, yeah, an and then this online figure to to like permeate your emotions. And then, in terms of the more public figures. They will be frustrating and they will be maddening. You are allowed to ignore them too because obviously they get a lot of benefit when you fight when you fight back and like get down to their level, right? Like they do you it is important I guess it is important to like, you know, challenge ideas, but but people that it's Hayden just gonna Stewart actually made some good points along this line of sometimes when you challenge certain ideas, you amplify them, and so you do have to think about that. Like, it's who who did that? Haley. What things? What? Haley did that. You say? Yeah, she talked about it on Twitter. And yeah. Because there can be this sense that you shouldn't let things slide, or you should you should speak up when you see something bad happening or whatever. But like, in certain cases, ignoring it is putting uh, getting rid. Of, like, you're you're not giving legitimacy to it i mean yeah it, you know, that's going to be a judgment call each time and i but. personally i would listen to Haley on this because and i say this because we we love her and daniel but there was a time when they were getting into fights with a lot of people on the internet and she even said that i think that she yeah. like they they kind of had to realize that they were probably doing weren't doing themselves any favor and it's easy to want to like fight back but also uh, the Roman circus rule of law is if you think you're more important than people, it becomes a lot easier to not argue with them. So just go on the internet, think you're better than everyone else, and you won't want to engage them. Right. Like if someone has less than 100 followers and they're <laughs> a racist, you should just block them. Like yeah. I, I just don't even pay them any mind. I mean, because it's, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm not saying that, I mean, because racism is a problem. I mean, the church back to you know centuries ago the church was having to squash out heresies mostly sort of mm -hmm. by protestants that you know native americans had a different class of soul than right. humans from europe and it was like yeah. no this is a soul like this is a, i mean racism has lots of different origins and it gets baked into institutions but and on levels there have been 
instances where the you know elements of the church have been caught up in it or complicit with it but from a theological standpoint the church has been battling it for centuries um you know at least since the enlightenment and um, it's just not yeah um yeah, so I think that's about. I don't know. I don't really have anything else to say in this in this podcast on it, but it. Uh, um, well, I thought like a brief note on just like okay, so go for the, it. The other aspect of this is that the demonstrations, um, have, they've been not just in Minneapolis, but there've been demonstrations all around the country, you know, everywhere from D.C. to L.A. to Dallas to, you know, Atlanta. Um, whatnot and um some of them i guess a lot of them especially the first few days kind of devolved into riots and there was looting and property destruction and you know stuff set on fire and all this kind of stuff like a target Mm -hmm. for the first day Mm -hmm. um and i think what i would challenge people when they're thinking about this is that it's really to me not very um, productive to try to think like, oh, is rioting bad? Is looting bad? Or is rioting good? Like mm-hmm. in this, if the, like I think it's not either. It's a thing that's happening, and it's, um, you know, historically throughout human history, um, riots break out for a variety of factors, mm-hmm. often due to injustice. And so, um, you know, it was Vermeule that said. The you know the the king's first line of defense for peace in the in the realm is to provide justice. Um, so, you know, I mean, if somebody if you like want to come to me and say, do I think you should write and loot? I would say no. Um, maybe don't do that. Just like listen to podcasts and like, <laughs> hang out and vape or something. Um, but when riots happen, like it's a mass response to something like it's it's not like it's it's not quite like a hurricane or an earthquake but it it also kind of is like it's predictable when there's instance after instance of injustice and everybody's seeing it i mean in this case it was a video um that that will provoke people to riot and so i mean i'm not i am kind of a wimp when it comes to writing and stuff i don't like it at all but i like i personally blame the governing authority whose job it is to provide justice and peace so like if you govern well you don't have riots so um i think if we want an end to the rioting the looting whatever um the best thing to do is to become a more just society and support um elements of justice and then um kind of a trivial matter is that some of the looting I would also just kind of laugh at like I don't I don't like it but um, if we're talking about you know looting the Kate Spade shop in Manhattan mm-hmm. like you know a, a, an $800 wallet is a status symbol. you're paying for a status and so mm-hmm. there's because a lot of this comes down to class it, it there's a message being sent with that it's not quite the same as burning down a small business in my mind but there's a you know but i don't know i may be rambling on that point but i I just think it's it doesn't necessarily make sense to try to look at riots from oh is this good or is this bad like Mm -hmm. it's highly predictable um that people riot and then obviously i think you know it was amped up significantly by the quarantine and people just you know because you're still not allowed to go to church or have a funeral or a wedding or go to school or, or work so if you wanted the only way you could leave the house was to go protest and riot so you know that's just my thought on that hey this building was was looted oh that's right i know i mean i haven't been there since before covid but yeah i've got the email that's like we're we thought we were opening back up but uh all you know everything was smashed and and so you know when i look at that i'd like to go back to my office and i think you know, that's kind of a first world problem, but I, I would say um, a more just uh, police force and better policies from the government would uh, would have avoided riots and w- will avoid future riots. So um, my selfish, self-interested 
thing here is, uh, yeah, if you want peace, you've got to have justice. The thing that people don't realize is your office building is one giant Kate Spade bag. Basically. That's, yeah, that's yeah. that's why you're yeah. really, really worried about this situation. Oh, rest in peace to her, by the way. The like second anniversary of her death was like last week. Oh, was it? Yeah, and then Anthony Bourdain is today. Yeah. Because those were the two big 2018. Right. Um, yeah. So, um. Okay. Well, th- do you have any thoughts on, on writing or whatever? I think that the protests are fine, and I think that protests, if they want to, they should basically take over city blocks and lock down the city to make their point. I, I don't. I'm yeah, like the smashing and all that stuff. I can see the idea behind it of getting people's attention. Um, I also, as I am want to do, worry about the mortal sin implications of certain things, which I don't believe protesting is, but I think that, you know, smash and grab, stealing random things could possibly be. Yeah, I mean, we have, Uh, what, the... Don't we have a commandment on that? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, my buddy... Commandment number seven. My buddy got shot with a rubber bullet in the leg, and the bruise was pretty gnarly on that. So, oh man, yeah, I have had quite a few friends hit by things. Yeah, like I had one friend that was covering the events for conservative news mm-hmm. and got hit with a rubber bullet. Um, yeah, that's they. Those things seem to be flying indiscriminately, which I think is a whole other issue. Uh, that that issue just obviously doesn't fall on the protesters; that falls on the people firing the guns. But it. uh yeah, it's uh if you're gonna go out there, keep your keep your head on a swivel and uh, you know remain vigilant. Also, uh, one one way that maybe some trads are not trads, but I guess some people might, to my view, be sort of telling on themselves is when they they want to talk this whole big game about you know oh you know what would the saints do and you know Protestantism is so bad and blah blah blah. This, you know, well um, it was a a Protestant church that caught fire in the DC protests, and so mm-hmm. if uh, if your general, even in a LARPing sense, is like, "Ha ha, like we should smash Protestantism or whatever," um, but this time, like, if this is the only time you've ever uh, hoped that a Episcopal church would still be standing the next day, <laughs> um, maybe just evaluate yourself. Yeah. Yep. Well, right on. Not that Our, I don't want any churches burnt down, but you know, it, it's like if, if this is the first time you've ever defended any sort of Episcopalian structure in your life, mm. um, yeah, just ask yourself why that might be. Totally. So, uh, what we wanted to do, I, w- I wanted to try something, Zach, and I've talked to you about this. Is I was thinking about, and we'll see how this first one goes, and if it goes well, and the response to it. I want to do a series where we talk about each of the mysteries of the rosary and we talk about it. I don't know if, I don't think these can be technically classified as reflections, but I want to talk about the idea of meditating on the mysteries and what you can look for with each specific mystery. For example, uh, and we'll get to, and maybe we'll get to this in a few episodes, but there was a very, very, very tiny baby at mass two weeks ago. And it dawned on me uh, one day with the, the nativity, the third, you know, the third joyful mystery came up in my head. And I thought about how crazy it was that Jesus was once as tiny as that massively tiny newborn that I saw in mass. And it kind of blew my mind. It's an obvious thing, but it's just something you don't think about, or at least I don't. So I thought we could go through each of the mysteries over a few different episodes, and we could talk about certain aspects of that mystery and what you could maybe use to reflect on while praying or just, you know, in adoration or just driving, any any time, really. Yeah. Uh, um, and to, yeah. to set that up just to make sure... Um, everyone's on 
the right page to find terms. So obviously the rosary is a meditative prayer. As we've talked about many times on the podcast, typically it's prayed um, five mysteries at a time where you have most of the time people use rosary beads for this where you pray in Our Father and 10 Hail Marys. And for each grouping, which those are called decades because it's 10 Hail Marys, there's a mystery assigned to it. And that's sort of what you're reflecting on and contemplating and sort of thinking about as you pray. And that's why, you know, it's the rosary is what it is. So these 15 sort of moments in the life of Jesus and Mary are Mm -hmm. called mysteries because each one, there's a lot going on there. Um, And so, yeah, that's what we're talking about. They're grouped into three groups, the joyful mysteries, the sorrowful mysteries, and the glorious mysteries. Um, There were four optional mysteries, or sorry, five optional mysteries Mm -hmm. set out in like 2002 Mm -hmm. um, by Pope St. John Paul II. I usually like I'll, I don't really pray them unless it's a group setting or like when the Holy Father asked us to earlier this year um, so I always have to look them up in order to do that and mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think we'll be delving into those but um, the 15 that Our Lady that Our Lady worked out and she gave the rosary to St. Dominic are kind of the ones we'll focus on yeah that's, uh, that's what I thought so I figure we could start with the joyful mysteries one thing that was said to me and i'm sure we've said this on the podcast before but the idea of uh, the idea of meditating on a thing is it is important if you're having trouble you can think about some of the basics and you can think about who was there what are they doing what are they saying what are they trying to accomplish so things like that instead of so the first joyful mystery is the annunciation so instead of just looking at it as one giant thing, one giant enunciation, you can basically pull it apart, right? That I mean, and it makes sense, and it seems pretty obvious, but it was like it kind of dawned on it. I, I, I didn't really think about that until the priest told me that, like to look at it that way. Uh and maybe I'm the only one, Zach, maybe you... I don't you, know what you mean. What do you mean, what? Like, pull it apart? Yeah, so the enunciation, it can be, like, a, a major thing to think about if you're thinking about it in terms of one giant oh, yeah. thing. But oh, you, okay. But then, but to make it easier and to make it kind of go into the mystery, you just think about the the simple elements of it, like who's involved, what are they doing, what are they saying what are they trying to accomplish right yeah so, so one thing that i mean what it like what is when you picture zach zach when you when you pick zach when you picture not when you picture zach when you picture the virgin mary do you i, I mean I've, I've seen her depicted as like as praying as sitting at a window right and then the light comes this angelic light is often coming through the window I, um, yeah, I usually picture her uh, kneeling in prayer, mm-hmm. um, either at a window or, or sometimes like just outside. Right. Um, and then, yeah, so she's there and then um, the Archangel Gabriel mm-hmm. brings her the brings her the news. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorite, actually, artistic depictions because, I mean, you just see... Um, like before recent times when there's just a lot more so devotional art there's a ton that's all centered around the 15 decades of the rosary Mm -hmm. and obviously one of since it's the first one I think you just there's a ton of really amazing depictions of the Annunciation Um, and it's kind of always been a favorite of mine right so one of the things that I a friend had pointed out to me is that Mary would, because she was obedient in all things, she would be obedient to what was going on. So in some, it is possible, and I've thought about the idea that Mary is not praying, that she's out doing work in her, around her home. Like if her, if she's, whoever, uh, 
she's living with her parents and her parents give her a task to do, she would be doing that task and she would be doing it faithfully. So right. Cause the, like at this step in her life, she is still, so she has been, um, legal for legal purposes and whatever, like the marriage has taken place with her mm-hmm. and Joseph. Um, but she hasn't entered his household yet. She still lives with her parents, which is not uncommon for that time period. Um, but you get a lot of misconceptions on like on that. But so, at, at, like at the time of the Annunciation, when the incarnation took place, when our Lord, you know, the the moment she became with child with our Lord, she was married. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. So. Yeah. So then there's the idea that she think about her obedience in all things. Like it, it's interesting and it's nice to know that she was not a robot. Because if you think of someone who was, you, you, if you think of the Blessed Virgin Mary, you think of just this precious thing that you that no one should get near and no one should touch because she she was like a human tabernacle, right? Who had who had Jesus within her, and you like you think about this thing, and, but she was a person that would go out and she would do things and she would help out, and she so there's very there's a very there's a chance that the angel did not appear to her while she was praying. She could have had maybe dirt on her, whatever she was wearing because she was out in the field helping. Right. It's not, it, it doesn't have to be this perfect scenario, but it could be almost, it could be a thing that you or I would do. I mean, I don't, I don't do a lot of work outside, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah. Well, Um, you're a farm boy now. That's true. I collect eggs. Um, Yeah. Maybe I have a garden. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe she was out collecting, maybe she was out collecting eggs or, uh, maybe she was taking care of her dog named Sir Charles Barkley. There it is. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I like what you're talking about. And I think, you know, what you can look at is when the Annunciation happens and when she kind of gives her, her fiat and says, you know, may it be done to me according to thy will Mm -hmm. or thy word, um, you know, that is the moment when our Lord is conceived mm-hmm. and that's when the incarnation takes place in history um, obviously Christmas is when we celebrate the birth but from that moment there was you know even if just at just you know two cells I guess um, you know fully God fully man from that moment on and because of the hypostatic union it was never not the case that God and man had had joined together and that God had a human nature from, from that moment in history forward. Right. There's that. Cool. El- yeah. There's that element to it. There's the other thing of, uh, you can think about the, the idea when she said, how can this be for I know not man? I think that's her quote, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I heard that I liked was that's how you, you can tell of her perpetual virginity because, like you said, the the marriage had already taken place, and we knew we know that's not it's not marriage as we define it now. But still, if she if she had been planning, it, you could tell of her perpetual virginity because if she was planning on not being a virgin, it would have said she would have said something like, you know, it hasn't, this hasn't happened yet, or I know not man at the moment, or like something like that. But the fir- she gave basically, you know, and all the writings gave a firm, how can this be for I know not man, basically implying that she won't. She didn't put any time, time stamp on it, right? Which I thought was pretty cool. And was Yeah, a- I guess I'd almost taken it to mean different as in when she asked that it was like to basically say okay what what do you want me to do like how not like not as an expression of doubt but more as a like okay great what do you want me to go do mm-hmm. which I guess that well not to take but, you know because there's there's other times where people will question directives from angels and mm-hmm. it will be taken as a word of doubt um whereas I, I think this was an expression of confidence and like full surrender to God. 
Okay, so that brings up another good point of how have you how would you think that she if she is fully confident and you know she is expressing her desire to do it what how what do you f- think she was feeling emotionally like it one of the things i've and we can if we continue this and talk about other ones it'll come up again but one thing i've thought about before is the idea of um, mary and her emotions because she she was very properly ordered right she had all her all of her emotions were properly aligned and properly ordered towards her final end and that's why we should look up to her she would she had all the virtue needed and she what's the saying that she had more virtue in her pinky than people have in their entire lives or something i'm butchering that what's that i believe it but yeah i mean basically her she had the gift of integrity so her her emotions were um like one of the effects of the fall of man is that our emotions are are somewhat out of our control and Mm -hmm. um you know you'll have these different emotions that pop up before or after they should like if you're anxious or if you're dreading things or whatever Mm -hmm. and none of that would have been the case for before the fall and, and then because of the immaculate conception none of that was the case for her so yeah she would have been feeling um exactly what made sense and and I think because um, because of her holiness and obviously she knew her scriptures that that like at that moment too was introduced some amount of sorrow at what would come like I, sure. I tend to think the Mary did you know thing like I think she knew before she was even married that that's what would happen and then right. once it was her I think I think from that moment the introduced was the element of sorrow in addition to you know, the joy and whatnot. Well, we I, we've got on record talking about how dumb that song is, anyway. But it, uh, um, yeah. Now I've said that the the plot of that song is is like literally like ripped out of Rosemary's Baby, where this like poor woman doesn't have any idea what she's being put up to and dragged yeah. through. And yeah, it's so possible that that's what happened to Virgin Mary. Right. So then the idea is it it just it's just interesting, at least for me, to think about the emotional ups and downs that someone like Mary would experience because they would be completely in line with what she was supposed to feel. So I don't think they're like, what are you supposed to feel when you find out you're the mother of God? Right. Well, that's the thing is like, do you, did she go out to the new covenant? Yeah. Did she go out and give like a jumping fist pump? Like Rafa Nadal does in tennis or like, like, did she give like a, like you know like a more mild fist pump like basically my thing is what degree of fist pumping did she do that's basically what i'm thinking like you know was it wild was it just a small one was it like a very confident fist pump because i'm sure she did there's no other way to there's no other way to experience that whole thing without at least giving some some minor fist pump well i mean again it was like ushering in the salvation of mankind and knowing her dispositions i mean that obviously has to be very joyful too like you know like she loves everybody that predates her like ascension Mm -hmm. or sorry assumption um yeah i don't i don't know imagine like in your view or well in the example you gave her if she's like out working um like in theory there would have been other people at least nearby and they had no idea that you know maybe if you yards over the incarnation is taking place and like, wow yeah you know the church is being born right that's um, true if someone if someone was in the next room they i mean the angel didn't appear to them so there's this whole thing happening six feet away that you're completely unaware of yeah that's i mean i guess we'll get to this with the christmas one but that's why i always feel bad for the innkeepers like they didn't just turn them away out of meanness. They were out of room. Like, not everybody <laughs> has 50 rooms. Not right. everybody has a four-star Medjugorje hotel. Um, <laughs> not yet, at least. Not yet. Um, so, yeah, it's it's neat. And, I mean, I think um, in terms of how to, like, on a practical level, meditate on these, there's a couple different techniques people use like some people will announce them and they'll just kind of try to think about them just mm-hmm. like in their head like enunciation enunciation um other options are to like read 
the scripture passage that it's from, which is Luke chapter one. Um, you'll see like devotionals. You can find them online, like scriptural rosary, where you read like a little bit before each Hail Mary. So there's like ten parts. Mm-hmm. Um, some people I think that can be helpful, especially um, like I don't like to give a lot of uh, like excuses for. Protestants that are uncomfortable like that are becoming Catholic that are uncomfortable with Mary but if you do need like training wheels to get into Marian devotion it may help to have the scripture there but in general it's like you should just get over it and be devoted to Mary Uh, what do you I at least am guilty of this the idea of I never think I hardly think of Joseph in this scenario because the mystery is so Mary driven but Joseph is very much a part of this story as well um, yeah, I mean, he obviously, like, uh, unknowingly to himself at, at that moment, becomes the foster father of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, his... Because spouse, something, you know, an angel appears to him as well. Yes, later on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, and we'll get to this next one, I think a lot more about him as being kind of passed over in the visitation. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll talk more about that when we get to that mystery because like, okay. I don't know where he where he like is during this one right he could be anywhere Zach off with his bros yeah. for the boys yeah he could he could just be down at the bar having having a good old time yeah um it, it's also interesting to think that like you know so much of history was a build up to this moment with the incarnation so it's like, I imagine the angels were pretty excited that morning. They're like, oh, today's the day. Mm-hmm. As, exci- as excited as angels can be for anything. Right. Right. Yes, disembodied spirits. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just one of those. I think the pious tradition says that, like, on his way to, like, make the Annunciation, that the Archangel Gabriel... Um, stopped off in limbo of the fathers where like all the old testament saints were waiting huh and gave them like a heads up like hey it's happening um because obviously the um the resurrection and the ascension would have to take place before those people could get to heaven properly speaking right so they were kind of in um either abraham's bosom as it's called or limbo of the fathers is kind of the more thomistic term um but yeah, that he made a quick stop to let them know what he was about to go do. The plan that, was in motion. That's good. No I, I had never thought about something in in regards to actual the actual angel doing doing that. To me, I guess the idea that the angel just kind of showed up was given the directive to go do this and did it. It never occurred to me that there would be a a heads up or like a I know you all have been very patient uh, it's going down so get ready get pumped because at that point some of those some of them have been had been gone for a while so another 30 plus years 30 and some change would be of no big deal to them it was probably just one night's sleep right so true so you know that happens I think the other thing about the angel Gabriel is that he um, you know writes the first half of the Hail Mary in this mm-hmm. encounter right you know, he says hail full of grace the Lord is with thee um, as we know that's you know part one of the Hail Mary and so you know he prayed the first Hail Mary and uh, that's it's always helpful I remember years ago, maybe 10 years ago or so at this point, explaining to a Jewish friend of mine who asked about, you know, worshiping Mary or whatever people ask about that. And it's it's always helpful to frame the Hail Mary in terms of how it actually came about. And I mean, I, I don't know if he left the conversation believing what I was saying, but at least it made him it was like it was easier way of him actually acknowledging that what I said made sense and uh, if you you know framing it in terms of well this is we're just repeating what 
was said earlier, right? Yeah, and I mean, obviously the the Our Father comes directly from God's mouth, um, but the Hail Mary, especially this first part, comes straight from His messenger, who's you know in the same encounter, um, you know, initiating the incarnation. So it's a pretty trustworthy source as far as. Um, these words come almost as close to directly from God as you can get without being directly from God, like the Our Father. Um, so, you know, it's a it's a good prayer to, to say, and it, it makes sense that it's this is the Hail Mary is usually the first prayer that children are taught mm-hmm. um, historically, and then if you're learning Latin, it's probably one of the first prayers that you will. Yeah, memorize. it's a good it's a good entry prayer into getting the. The lang- not necessarily the language down, but the flow of it and the, you know, how to how to train your train your brain to say Latin words. Yeah, every so often I'll like I'll be in a hurry or something, and I'll I'll start saying the Hail Mary before I eat instead of the like table grace. Mm-hmm. Um, it still counts though. Yeah, you can say both. Yeah, I, I think that if you think about there's like a tendency to to say things thoughtlessly like whether it's profanity or you know inaudibles like uh or like whatever i think that having those things be holy things like prayers i, I think is perfectly fine like I, I just don't really think every every like word of your prayers has to be you know dripping with the full weight of your attention and intention well there's um, grace there and there's repetitive like the a priest explained it to me as like that there is you know the prayer is still there and it, it will naturally become repetitive uh that doesn't make it any less efficacious really um right and, the, and that's the thing like we're sort of designed for repetition mm-hmm. and there's a lot worse things you could thoughtlessly be repeating so um I'm, I'm definitely not one of those people that's like you know if you're just praying it it's better to it's like better to just not um, I would definitely say no. I mean, even if you're phoning it in, like that's better than not phoning it in. Like, sure, like very fruitful, deep, contemplative prayer where you know each word is said with intention and yeah, focus. That's wonderful, but I I don't think that you. That's just not possible to do. Well, yeah, every single time. Right. It just um, comes from our the brain worm that got in that every we should feel everything we do like if you're not feeling Um, something you're not really doing it right like i I think that if if saying a rosary is a thing that you make yourself do because you know that it's something that you should do um that's way better than not doing it like i don't i don't think there's like we talk about this way back if we go like deep cuts but there's usually not like a bad reason to do the right thing Mm -hmm. so like there's better reasons and there's more perfect reasons, but uh, I don't think you should wait to, to pray the rosary for when you feel like it or when it means something or, or whatever that means. Um, I think you should you should simply do it. And some days it's going to be um, exhausting and it's going to feel fruitless and um, you know you'll just kind of get through it. Um, and that's great. That's you know every relationship has it's days and moments like that so your relationship with god and the blessed mother isn't isn't somehow exempt and that you don't put it on hold when you're not feeling like it you know you you uh you feed your family even when you're not you know just taken up with all the meaning and purpose of providing people food like Mm -hmm. you just feed them so you know pray it totally all right, well, that's our foray into that. Let us know what you think, and we can come back with some more of the mysteries. It's, uh, yeah, I hope it I hope it went well. Should we have a Saint of the Week, Zach? Let's, let's do. Let's do have a Saint of the Week. Saint of the Week is Saint John of Saint Facundo. Saint John... Okay of saint facundo nice 
He was born June 24th, 1419, died June 11th, 1479. He was beatified 1601 by Pope Clement VIII. He was canonized October 16th, 1690 by Pope Alexander VIII. He has a major shrine in Salamanca, Spain. His feast day is June 12th. I want a shrine in Salamanca, Spain. Do you want one? Yeah. All right, I'll work Can on that. Can make that happen? He, he's always attributed as holding a chalice and the holy host surrounded by rays of light, which is a good way to be depicted. He is the patron of Toledo, but not Ohio. Toledo is a third-class city in the province of Cebu, Philippines. Oh, wow. Because there's, there's also a Toledo in Spain. Right. And he's a patron of a few cities in the Philippines, actually. He was the oldest of seven children to a wealthy family. He received his early education from the monks of the Royal Monastery of St. Benedict in his native city, the province of Lyon. And uh, he was introduced to a bishop, and the bishop educated him at his own residence, gave him several prebends. You know what a prebend is? I do not. A pre a preben, prebendary is a member of the Roman Catholic clergy, a form of canon with a role in the administration of a cathedral or collegiate church. And, that was, was going to be my guess. Yeah. So he was given several prebends, ordained a priest in the year 1445, and then made a canon at the Cathedral of Burgos. He had qualms of conscience, though, because holding all of these offices simultaneously was contrary to church law, so he resigned them all, but only retained that of the chapel of St. Agatha in a poor neighborhood in the city where he said mass and preached. Uh, and then he began his strict life of poverty and mortification. The bishop consented and gave him permission to enter the University of Salamanca, where he studied theology, and he also exercised his ministry at the chapel of College of St. Bartholomew, where he held that position for nine years. He had, to, he had kidney stones, and back then kidney stones were a big deal, Zach. I'm sure they're a big deal now, but they were back well, then. Awful. He vowed that if his life was spared, he would become a religious, and his life was spared, so he applied for admission to the Order of Hermits of St. Augustine at the Monastery of St. Peter, and from that point on was known as Brother John. He had such a great devotion to the Blessed Sacrament that at the celebration of Mass, he frequently saw the Sacred Host resplendent in glory, he was gifted with a special power to penetrate the secrets of conscience, Zach. So that means it was not easy to deceive him, and sinners were almost always forced to make good confessions, which is pretty amazing. He was able to obtain wonderful results in doing away with feuds, uh, which I think if you can you know, read into people's consciences, you would. He... Uh, he He's kind of compared, well, Padre Pio is compared to him sometimes because Padre Pio also had the ability to discern the secrets of conscience. Did you know that about him? Um, I had heard that. In his sermons, Brother John preached the word of God and the scourge of crimes and vices of the day by which the rich and noble were offended. And he soon made many enemies who went as far as to hire assassins. But the assassins were awed by the serenity and angelic sweetness of Brother John that they lost their courage. Some of the women of Salamanca uh, basically were upset that he would give sermons about how they dressed, and they openly insulted him in the, in the streets and pelted him with stones until they had to be stopped by a patrol of guards. Uh, yeah, it, uh, he, he basically was, 
he just wandered around and told everybody what he what <laughs> what they needed to hear and they couldn't lie to him because they he knew their conscience so it was like a double whammy he died like we said june 11th in his monastery and his remains were buried in the old cathedral of the city of Salamanca, Spain. And he, soon after his death, uh, word of him began to spread throughout Spain, and that is what led to the beatification process. And there you go. That is uh, St. John of St. Facundo. And uh, may, he, may he pray for us and force us to make good confessions. Not force. Help us. Uh, if need be. Help, help us, but also force us. All right. Well, you got anything before we say fare thee well? Uh, no. I think that's, uh, I think we've covered it all. All right, gang. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Let us know what you think about this, and we will talk to you all next week. Yeah.